Welcome back to a Christian and a Buddhist walk into a bar. My name is Jamal and I am a Buddhist. I'm Jacob. I am a Christian. And neither of us are Ben Stokes. This is true. Do you think that Pat Cummins should have withdrawn his appeal for Johnny Bairstow to be stumped at Lords? I think our listeners do not care. Jamal has rejected my idea, ladies and gentlemen, of a podcast talking about baseball and cricket. We're, we're recording this the day after the Lord's Test. If you even remember what that was or know who Johnny Bairstow is or why there was a controversy, that's nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, I, it, it, Jacob pitched it and I went, Jacob, we're not a sports podcast. Whilst I could talk with you about this and we could probably make a podcast about it, it's not our podcast. So what is our podcast, Jamal? Our podcast, uh, our podcast is instead about King Ashoka the Great from 232 BC. Are you sure that's not King Ben Stokes of the Great? No, no, it is not. We 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 are we are rejecting the premise of a cricket-based podcast and instead talking about an ancient emperor of the Maurian Empire. So where is Maurya? Yeah, I don't know how to pronounce that actually. It, it's, Ma- you brought the article, man. He's a he's a Buddhist. He's, yeah, he's your it, guy. it doesn't mean I can pronounce ancient Indian empires. Um, it, it is in India. Uh, it, the Mauryan Empire spanned um, effectively what is um, kind of northern India, Nepal, Pakistan. It, it was pretty big. Mm-hmm. It, it was, it was kind of up to the Himalayas and then just all the way across. The, yeah, and kind of down to the the top of where Tamil Nadu is today or yes, something like that. Yeah. Correct. Um, and King Ashoka, uh, Ashoka the Great, as, as, as he is known, uh, was the third king of the empire who uh, ruled from... Uh, about 268 to 232 BCE. Um, and to, to put this, I guess, into a context that I guess that you might be able to connect with, Jacob, he he's the Buddhist Constantine. Oh, okay. Yeah, so he's pretty much the Buddhist That's Constantine. Interesting. Yeah. What makes him the Buddhist Constantine? Um, I, I, as you'll see in the story, there's a there's a conversion. There's a kind of broad, you know, spreading and popularizing of Buddhism. I think probably... More than anyone other than the Buddha and the Buddha's immediate kind of descendant followers, King Ashoka probably did the most to promote Buddhism in the world uh, and to establish it. I, I, I think Ashoka was the first ruler that made their kingdom a Buddhist kingdom. Like, I think he was the first one to really do the whole, you know, we are all Buddhists now mm-hmm. thing. Um, but yeah, very much credited with... Uh, the early establishment of Buddhism as a as a kind of as a global religion and as a religion that had status. So you're going to have to talk me through this because I heard, and when I say heard, I mean read in the article you sent around, that he was a bastard that killed a lot of people. Yes, well, so he started. Is this true of all Buddhist rulers? <laughs> <laughs> he he started as a bastard that killed a lot of people. So yes, so to go through the story, um, so. So King Ashoka, uh, he so broadly speaking, uh, his name does appear in the kind of the the Indian literature dealing with like kings and heroes and gods. So mm-hmm. he's there, but there's not a whole lot of life uh, information there. Most of it um, comes from Buddhist sources. Uh, so okay. the, the Buddhists love King Ashoka, um, and and look, and a caveat here: the Buddhist sources are um, they they play up the story. Yeah. They're, they're, they're not considered pure historical texts, but, you know... They, it's they, a great comparison with Constantine. Like, his his life is written by a 
bishop who has kind of a vested interest in presenting him in particular ways, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, so anyway, so uh, we don't quite know when he's born, uh, but he's said to be uh, one of a hundred sons his father had, you know, back in the day of of lots of uh, polygamous marriages. Not a hundred sons his mother had. No, definitely not a hundred sons his mother had. Um, and he, um, so yeah, he, he, he's born to this royal family um, and his older brother was kind of the heir apparent. Um, and so, so kind of his, his chances of inheriting the throne are, are pretty, are pretty slim. Um, like most people of, of lots of means at that time, um, he was very highly educated. Um, you know, even though he wasn't, you know, the heir to the throne, he, he was treated very well. He was, he was a royal. He was very much, you know, I feel like if you have a hundred sons uh, as a royal, like some of them are just like off to the side and not really part of it, and some of them are part of it. Like he, he was part of it. He was he he was in the family. And and his name says here means without sorrow. Like and that kind of to me conjures up these ideas of a, a princely life of you know milk baths and and this kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so look, so when he was eighteen, uh, you know, after being, um, you know, raised, you know, with the educations and trappings of of, of the ruling family, uh, he's he was sent to go put down a, a rebellion in um, in a place called Taxila, um, you know. So you know, essentially, you know, like the family business of rulers often was, it was it was warfare and it was military. So he goes to put down a a rebellion. Um, supposedly, according to legend, uh, his father. Uh, his father's name was, was his name is Bindusara. Provided his son with an army, but no weapons. Uh, and the weapons were provided later by supernatural means. Um, it doesn't, sure. doesn't go into what they were. Um, so, uh, you know, th- that legend talks about him being pretty merciful. Uh, that you know he kind of doesn't kill people who who surrender and that kind of thing, which which is good and and not what he is known for slightly later. Um, so so he succeeds. So may or may not be true. Yeah. is what I'm hearing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He succeeds at putting down that rebellion, um, and so then he also goes. Uh, so he's, then he's given a, a, a government post. You go, okay, we're going to send you to this town of Ujjain, uh, and you're going to be the governor, the governor there. And they were like, yeah, cool. And he, he did pretty well there. So he, so he's doing he's doing pretty good. Um, he meets uh, he meets a a local merchant uh, and has a love affair with the daughter of the local merchant. Uh, the, that woman's name is Devi, um, and. Depending on who you ask, she introduced him to Buddhism. He introduced her to Buddhism. Like Buddhism is kicking around at this point, yep. right? So like yep. it's, it's what four hundred years after the Buddha died. Um, Buddhism is you know it's maybe not the biggest religion, but it it's one of the competing religions in India at the time, and it's going along and kind of like fighting for dominance within Hinduism ish. Yeah, it, it, it's, a, it's a minor yeah. sect in the same way that Christianity was in in the kind of pre Constantine Roman Empire, yeah. right? It's a, it, yeah, some people are Buddhists, sure, yeah. Um, but yes, so. Uh, then, whilst he is governor of Ujjain, uh, the the Taxila rebel again, and they're like, "Oh man, here we go again." Um, and and this time, his father he was too nice the first time around. Yeah, he he yeah. didn't kill them when they surrendered, and they're like, "Oh, what's going on?" So this time, his father sends another another son, uh, but this son falls ill, um, and uh, essentially, um, and so so he, the, the son's called back, um, so. It, it's a little bit vague upon like this this part of it, but essentially his el- the, the eldest son who is heir is kind of ill, is kind of you know, not done a great job at putting down this rebellion. And when the king dies, um, the ministers kind of prefer Ashoka and they mm-hmm. kind of want him to be the successor. So um, so essentially, uh, like lots of people did, 
Um, Ashoka killed all his brothers, uh, and you know he killed his brother Susima, who was the heir to the throne, burned him to death in a charcoal pit, uh, executed his ninety-nine other brothers, um, and essentially uh, became the king. Which it must be said is not an unusual thing to do in these kind of circles, yeah, right? It does like a power it, grab. Yeah, it happens in Europe, or you know, like yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it does say um, there. There are some. There are some claims that he executed ninety-nine of his brothers, um, but some scholars maintain he killed only two, and that his youngest, uh, his youngest brother, renounced all claim to rule and became a Buddhist monk instead. Which, to be fair, if I was writing a legendary Buddhist history, I, I'd roll with that one, right? Like that. Yeah. Oh, look, and and the youngest loved Buddhism so much that he went off and became yeah. a Buddhist monk. Yeah. yeah. So, all right. So Ashoka has uh, done a real done a real two hundred BC on on his family. <laughs> he's uh, he, he's killed them all. He's taken the throne. Uh, he's, he's he's taken over from his father. Uh, he, it sounds like he had the support of some of the senior ranking officials and the ministers, and so you know he wasn't complete coup, but you know yeah, it, it was pretty bloody. Um. So once he assumed power, Ashoka, Ashoka establishes himself as a cruel and ruthless despot. Uh, I quote here, who, pleasure, who pursued pleasure at his subject's expense and delighted in personally torturing those who were sentenced to his prison, known as Ashoka's Hell or Hell on Earth. Mm. Great place to be. Lovely guy. Yeah. So, so far, what do you think of this Ashoka guy? Well, as I said, a bit of a bastard that killed a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. Does, does he have this redemption arc going towards Buddhism if you don't already know the end of this story? Well, not if you don't already know. This is how redemption arcs work, though. Like, they, yeah. they, they check out kind of when you know the end of the story. Yes, that, that is true. Anyway, I, I, I'm leading you on here a little bit for, for dramatic effect. Um, but we, we will move well, on. He's, he's, he hasn't... I, I'm assuming... Correct me if I'm wrong... The, the pursuing pleasure at his subject's expense and delighting in torturing people, sending them to hell on earth. That's the Buddhist kingdom bit, right? Like that's uh... <laughs> no. This is this is pre this is pre Buddhist right. kingdom. He's, right. he's not not a Buddhist king at this point. He's just a he's just a bit of a bit chalk of that a... up as you would say that. <laughs> <laughs> a bit of a a very a very early history king. Um, all right. So essentially. Um, in comes the Kalinga War. So um, Ashoka is on the throne. He's pretty cruel. Uh, and the kingdom of Kalinga, which was south uh, on the coast, w- was pretty well off. It was pretty wealthy. And the Mayurian Empire surrounded it. Um, so, you know, there was it was yeah, okay. down there. And then the Mayurian I should just Empire. check. When you say Kalinga, you don't actually mean Lasseth Malinga. I don't. Just okay. No, no. Stop, stop trying to bring cricket into this podcast. <laughs> You're the one that set this episode in India. <laughs> <sighs> yes. Sorry. Anyway, um, the the, the Lasseth Kalinga Empire um, was <laughs> was to the south, completely surrounded by the Mauryan Empire, and um, essentially they go to war. Um, mm. th- there's no there's no real record of exactly why they go to war, but they go to war. Uh, and Ashoka invaded the kingdom um, and, from records here, slaughtered about 100,000 people and deported about 150,000 more, which, in the world of 260 BCE, is a lot of people. It is a lot of people. There's a lot of people. Yeah. Um, so he kills a lot like, of people. Like, we're talking, um, this is, you know, the Spartan 300 yeah. are happening 
around this time, which is, you know, admittedly against a Persian army that is potentially about a million people. But, like, the Greeks are putting maybe tens of thousands in the field at this time. Well, and the, like, point, the point of the Persian army of a million people is that is the biggest army that anyone has correct. ever seen ever. Yeah, people so, didn't know you could get this many people together. Yeah, like, so, so, like, yeah, a million people together is the greatest number of people on a single place ever. And they get defeated by 300 Spartans, which is hilarious. Yes. Um, Sorry, I, I digress. Yeah, um, but um, although actually we should do an episode on the Persians because they, they were actually very good religious religiously they were they, they were they were very peaceful. yeah like Mazda al and Zoroastrian and yeah, yeah yeah it was great anyway Ashoka slaughters 100,000 Kalinka people sends 150,000 more off into supposed slavery I would assume uh, and leaving thousands of others to die of disease and famine and, and and then he kind of feels bad see this is a part of the story that like genuinely surprises me a bit right if he's done everything like he's killed some if not all of his brothers he's established hell on earth he's got tortures and stuff like why now so all right well i can quote why sure. now um so this is recorded in his uh, 13th edict and the, the the edicts are um i i, I think the edicts are the pillars i well, anyway, we'll, we'll get to the ashokan pillars which which come in later in the story but um they they're kind of we have them carved on stone or something. Yes, yeah. but yeah. So yeah. so he he but essentially this is a primary source. He's he's yep. he's written this down as in or at least this is the story he's telling of, of himself. Right, um, a quote. On conquering Kalinga, the beloved of the gods, Ashoka, felt remorse, for when an independent country is conquered, the slaughter, death, and deportation of the people is extremely grievous to the beloved of the gods and weighs heavily on his mind. Even those who are fortunate to have escaped whose love is undiminished, suffer from the misfortunes of their friends, acquaintances, colleagues, and relatives. Today, if a hundredth or, th- or thousandth part of those people who were killed or died were deported when Kalinga was annexed were to suffer similarly, it would weigh heavily on the mind of the beloved of the gods. So he feels really bad, right? Like I, 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 think, I think there's a point at which he's just compl- committed a huge massacre, probably a genocide, yep. Um. And, like, up until this point, I think he's probably been able to justify it, as in, like, you know, well, I was, you know, doing, you know, I was coming to power, I was, you know, putting down a rebellion, they they were fighting me, or, you know, you know I, had, I had to kill all my brothers or else, you know, they would have taken the throne, right? And at this point, it's like, he realises, I was the aggressor here, and I didn't have to do this, and I was the more powerful one, and, and yeah, I killed a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. So um, so there's, there's this moment where he's feeling really, really remorseful, um, and so then, and then he changes, and so he renounces war. He embraces Buddhism, but it, it's not quite a sudden conversion. It, it's rather a, a gradual acceptance. So, as we said earlier, because he's met this Davi person earlier, right? Yes, like, correct. And, and but it does sound like that moment is a little bit Paul on the Damascus Road mm. kind of thing as well. Like we were talking about Constantine, and Constantine has a couple of visions and other bits and pieces, but it is just that like. Oh, I've I've messed this up, kind of sense. Yeah, and 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 I think this whole thing of like it's a gradual journey. I think I think it implies. Yeah, it wasn't like he literally stood on the battlefield of Kalinga and went, "Oh my God, what have I done now? I should be a Buddhist." I think he, it just it would have weighed heavily on him, and he mm. would have gone, "Wow, maybe there's a different way here." And yeah, started that spiritual journey and re- reflection, and essentially, yeah, uh, converts over time into Buddhism. Um, and you know, um, there's there's no real clear 
record of why he chose Buddhism over any of the other religions that were going around at the time. But I, I think it, you know, maybe he was introduced to it. Yeah, maybe it was yep. already there in his head, and it just kind of it it clicked in a way after what had happened. But yeah, you know, you, you can see a story here of someone um, that is, you know, he's someone who's traumatized and he's mm. dealing with that trauma and he's going on a spiritual journey with that trauma which is something I would imagine would be pretty common in, in Christian texts as well, where there are there are these traumatic events and people come to God through them. Yeah, definitely. But what's happening in those cases, or at least in you know the, the main accounts that we have, is it, it doesn't tend to be that people are converting to Christianity at that point. I mean, it may be in, in some more that I'm you know, less aware of, but it's often that they're kind of, they're, they're ostensibly Christian or they're living in Christian areas. And then they they actually become serious about their faith, if I can put it that way. Mm. Um, and th- certainly for you know holy figures and, and monks and various saints and stuff, we we see that. But we'd we'd see that with rulers as well. Yeah, yeah for sure. So um, so essentially, when he becomes, I don't know a, if it's as common as you might think. Yeah, okay, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. I, I would I would have thought it would have been more common, but yeah, it shows how much I know about Christian saints. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it shows how much I know. Yeah. <laughs> so so when he becomes um, when he becomes a Buddhist, um, you know he he essentially just changes his ruling style, and and this article here talks a lot about how you know he can't inherently change his political structure, and he can't really change like what, what how he rules the kingdom in the sense that he needs to have a strong head of state and and you know maintain the will of the king. But he does, you know, he becomes peaceful, right? He he doesn't want to go out and and murder people anymore. He doesn't want to go out and you know you know invade a lot of wars and all that kind of stuff. He he instituted vegetarianism into his royal kitchen. See, that sounds like repression. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, um, and he um, you know he he's he's trying to be a just and merciful king, right? Um, and and I'm just like curious a bit of like how how does that play out? Because you said like he's he's not starting aggressive wars he's not you know attacking Karinga anymore but um at least according to the article you've sent around like that the 150,000 people who he deports from there like he doesn't undeport them despite this change of heart and i'm assuming like there's there's certain things particularly at this time that like as a ruler you've you've got to do because if i if i'm a, a subject at this point that's maybe from a different ethnic group or or whatever like temptation to rebel is going up as i discovered that this guy's he's abandoned creating hell and is instead looking for peace right well he keeps his army right yeah and like he's, he's not completely so stepping and, yeah and, and presumably it's doing something it's not just standing on parade yes yeah, so, so and again i think this is this this is tension here where he's he is you know holding on to his army he's holding on to Kind of yeah, the the structures of state that keep him in power and keep the state strong, um, and um, yeah, and, and I think he's probably just taking a more kind of peaceful and you know Buddhist approach to how he rules, right? Mm. Which is very Constantinian mm. in in some senses, right? Because like so so my reading of Constantine, and we can do an episode on him at some future point, is that Constantine is emperor first and christian second mm. and and so he's a christian emperor but he's a christian emperor like yeah. you know and and so because I, like part of my question coming into this is like well how buddhist can you be as the king of an empire here and and what i'm hearing is that um ashaka is 
not going to attain enlightenment at this rate, right? No. Like he's he, he's, he's not, got too many attachments because you have to if you're kinging. Well, this is it, right? He's he's not becoming a monastic, right? He, yeah. He's not touted as the second Buddha. He's touted as a Buddhist king, mm-hmm. right? And again, yes, yeah, which is I, the same as Constantine, right? He's yeah. not a bishop. He's a Christian emperor. Yeah. yeah. Um, I was going to say this article has a link to a crash course article, a crash course video on YouTube uh, on Buddha and Ashoka. Now I haven't seen this video, but I think crash course is amazing. So I would, inc- I'll, I'll put that link in the, uh, in the show notes and I would encourage everybody, including myself to go and watch that episode of crash course <laughs> history good plug. on Buddha and Ashoka. Um, yeah. Maybe John and Hank Green might decide to sponsor this podcast. We'll see. <laughs> it's the kind of thing they might do. Shout out to John Green please sponsor this podcast as well as uh, AFC Wimbledon Football Club. And thank you for listening. Yeah. Um, so anyway, um, the, there's an interesting point here, which this article kind of doesn't go too strongly on, but I, I, I think is, and again, because this is a history article, not a religious article. But this, Yeah, and, and how much does this line up with the Buddhist legends that, go on, sorry, you were going to make a point. Well, no, so I, to, to answer your question, I mean, the, this, I... I Again, I haven't. Checked. I say legends. Maybe it's Buddhist history. Yeah, I, I haven't checked sources for this article. My understanding is the sources for this article is, uh, is the Buddhist history. Mm-hmm. So, so the, you know that. The, and a bit of scholarly research. Yeah. So, so worldhistory.org yeah. is citing Buddhist history as the source here. So, right. I, I think this is pretty pretty well in line. Um, so, uh, but again, as a history article, it doesn't go into this. But as a as a theology podcast, maybe we can labor on this point a little bit. Um, it talks about how and and reading this actually, this is um. I didn't know this um, really from a theological perspective, so it's news to me and, and, and an interesting, um, an interesting piece of tidbit. Um, that essentially Ashoka's response to the war with the Kalingas and the kind of the way he approaches Buddhism after is is the formation of the kind of how we understand Dharma now. So Dharma is the Buddhist concept of the teachings, right? And mm-hmm. we, you know, we talk a lot about this in Buddhism of you know, the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha, the Sangha being um, the monastic community, being like the core tenets of Buddhism. Yeah. Um, so so Dharma is a key part of Buddhism. Um, and, you know, we, we talk, this article talks about Dharma deriving from the concept um, of duty, which is set through in Hinduism, um, and it's kind of a responsibility or purpose, and, mm-hmm. and it's a shift from what the Buddha spoke about as Dharma as a kind of cosmic law and a kind of you know, law of nature kind of thing. I think you've heard me refer to the law of nature before, yeah. right? Which I think th- that was the Which way... Which is kind of what you want to live in accord with as a, as a Buddhist, yeah. Yeah, and so so the Buddha, I think, used Dharma to mean that law of nature and to mean that kind of cosmic law, whereas Ashoka's Dharma talks much more about this concept of right behavior. And it's a, it's a Dharma mm. that is, you know, it is a teaching that I have to live in my life um, and it's yeah, it, it it's an ethics kind mm. of approach to Dharma rather than a kind of, I, I guess, uh, you know, rather than a. Um, you you mean it's it's taken from a, it's almost taken from an abstract mm. idea to a commandment in yeah. a sense because like, in the Judeo-Christian tradition anyway, like the the laws of God are are commandments. That's that's how it works. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And so it becomes that it has that like it it's almost taking the yeah the theoretical idea and giving it an application and a point. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and yeah, so it, it is that ethical foundation which we talk about a lot in Buddhism, and, and it's a massive part of 
modern day Buddhism, right? And so that kind of comes from Ashoka rather than from the, or it's Ashoka's development of this concept from the Buddha? Well, I, so I, I think if you think about it, right? So the Buddha, what the Buddha did in the Buddha's own time was establish mm. an order of monastics, right? Sure. And that order of monastics, as we've seen, remained a pretty minor sect and a minor religion for a long time. And so... And, and just to, like, put a, a number on it, so we're talking 400 years-ish after yeah. the Buddha, right? So Constantine in Christianity happens about 250 years-ish mm. um, after Jesus. Yeah. So, like, yeah, different time frames. Yeah, and I think... And I think the the monastic order of the Buddha was very much about going and pursue enlightenment and going and live that lifestyle mm-hmm. or whatever else. And so I think from that context, Dharma being this kind of abstract theological cosmic law, you know, law of nature thing makes a lot of sense. Because you're meditating to get in touch with it and this kind of thing, right? Correct. Like, and and yeah. effectively, there are no lay Buddhists, Yeah. right? Like yeah. at this point, that if you want to be a Buddhist, you go and be a monastic. Yeah. You know, like that, that, yeah, you go and live the monastic aesthetic lifestyle um, yeah, there, there's no real concept of what it means to be a lay Buddhist because there are no people who are not mm. part of that sect that mm. are Buddhist. Whereas Ashoka, which must look really different. Sorry, because we've we've talked mm. about how like the the lay people serve the monks mm. by giving them food and this kind of stuff, and that's how they contribute. It's like so clearly none of that sort of exists, or at least not in the way that it does now. Well, I, th- I think I think lay people still feed the monks. Like I think it's still very popular and common at the time to support people who are pursuing spiritual paths but oh, i so you just don't do it as a buddhist yeah I, 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 yeah, yeah. I, i'm not sure yeah and may, yeah, okay. maybe those lay people you know may, maybe they look a lot like lay buddhists now because they decide to only feed the monks that are living in the caves near them and they all happen to be buddhist monks and so they're functioning like lay buddhists but i don't know that those lay buddhists lay people would call themselves buddhists yeah. at the time right to yep. be a buddhist is to be part of the monastic sect gotcha whereas ashoka comes in and goes well no my whole kingdom is buddhist so like kind of invents the concept of lay Buddhism, right? Invents mm. this idea of being a Buddhist that that isn't a monastic. And that, and that doesn't that. then revolve in the same way around meditating on the Dharma, for instance. Exactly, right? Yeah. yeah. So, so Dharma becomes something you have to be able to do and learn and connect with. Because again, it's still a core teaching, right? The Buddha mm. spoke, you know, you can't really have Buddhism without Dharma. And if at the time Dharma is this very esoteric cosmic law of nature concept that you only really understand through a lot of meditation then you've got to somehow translate that into something that the people who are your farmers and your warriors and your court ministers can all still follow and can all Mm. still do uh, without going off and becoming monastics there's a really interesting parallel here within christianity which is not actually to um constantine but to the reformation Mm. Because so one of the things that happens in the Reformation is this elevation of lay Christians, as in not priests and so on. Um, but also just the like how you how you're talking about Dharma there that um, it, it becomes this this thing that you can do like this this kind of applied version of it is that I'm going to butcher this a bit, but prior to the Reformation, like grace within the the European Church anyway is kind of this like nebulous concept that like if you do good things kind of god will give you grace to assist you and it's kind of this this concept that has some sort of agency and power that that god gives to special people at particular times and, and this kind of thing 
And Luther in particular kind of flips that around and wants to take God's promises and teach people to apply them to their own lives. Um, and so he, he has this phrase in Latin, which is pro me, which is like literally for me. Um, so like, what does this word of God mean for me? Not in a like, what's this abstract, like what's God's grace kind of like? And what does it mean that God is gracious? It's like, actually, what does it mean for me to receive God's grace? Mm-hmm. Which I appreciate is not the same thing here, but, it, but it's that personal application of what's otherwise a theoretical concept, which is happening at the same time as the practice of Christianity is being broadened from monks and kind of spiritual elite across the population. So you've got things like the scriptures being translated and this kind of stuff because you have this empowerment of a lay community. Mm. Um, yeah, it's just a, an interesting parallel. Yeah, for sure. I think so anyway. Yeah. And so Ashoka, um, Ashoka you know, essentially establishes this and, and this is where we get to the the, um, the edicts and the, the pillars uh, that he's famous for. So... Essentially, Ashoka then embarks on pilgrimages, right? So he mm-hmm. goes to the sacred sites. Because he's not hunting anymore. Correct, yes. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's not mass murdering. Um, and, yeah, so he essentially orders these edicts, uh, many of which kind of reference Dharma and explain Dharma, carved in stone throughout his empire, and sent and he, he sent Buddhist missionaries around to kind of put up these stone pillars, mm. put up these uh, these kind of essentially decrees of Buddhism all around his empire. But so then, he's embarking on a mass education exactly, program. Yeah, yeah. He, he's he is you know he's not only he's not only kind of saying, well, I'm the king and I'm a Buddhist, servant's a Buddhist, but he's going, no, I need to teach people about mm-hmm. Buddhism, right? That Buddhism. Yeah, essentially, Buddhism saved my life, so let me go and teach everyone in my. Have you heard about Buddha? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly right. And so, yeah, it's um, it's very much you know he he is educating his population about that, but also he sends missionaries to other regions and nations, right? So this is where Buddhism goes to Sri Lanka, right? Right. So because so Buddhism is massive in Sri Lanka these days, Buddhism is yeah yeah uh, these the state re- religion of Sri Lanka these days, yes, um, and you know so and this is where Buddhism goes to China. Mm. And this is where Buddhism goes to Thailand, right? So, like, Ashoka is the one that sends Buddhism from... So, you know, if you think about... So, can we pause and unpack yeah. that? Because, like, what is a Buddhist missionary? How does that... Like, I've, I've not... I'm not familiar with the idea of Buddhists kind of doing evangelism. Yeah. Well, so the, the last country I wanted to mention here oh, is yeah. Buddhism goes to Greece, where I'm sure they had a great time with the Stoics. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, yeah, very, um, very in line there. So, essentially... Um, it was it was this kind of like peaceful evangelism. So you know, Ashoka had decreed that like no one should ever elevate their own religion above anyone else's religion because like that devalues your own faith by supposing it to be better than another's and, and mm. loses humility. Which again is a very Buddhist concept. You know, not superior, inferior, or equal is a is a kind of common Buddhist saying. Um, so yeah, so so he's really put the Buddhist tenets into how to be a missionary. So I mean, it doesn't really go into exactly. Uh, what what they did as missionaries. But, you know, you'd imagine they would rock up and have Buddhist teachings and maybe stand in the town square and talk about Buddhist teachings. But, you know, they're not trying to go, you should all stop being your other religion. They're just going, hey, have, have you heard about the Buddha, right? Have you heard about <laughs> this religion that teaches all these great things, right? Is, is there a modern kind of parallel to this? Not hugely. There, okay. there, there's not a real missionary vibe. I mean, maybe you could talk about... Buddhist monasteries being set up in other countries, you know, so there are, you know, the Australian Buddhism kind of, you know, essentially came out of um, Ajahn Brahman Co being sent from Thailand to establish a monastery in Australia. 
Um, and, you know, that happened in the US, it happened in England, it's happened in beginning to happen in Africa. Like, you know, so yeah, there are people setting up Buddhist centers and monasteries, but it's kind of like, yeah, let me set up a monastery here and let me just hang out here and be my own Buddhist self here. And then if people want to rock up and which is engage the, with me, perfectly then, yeah. consistent with Buddhism, as I understand, it, and possibly what these guys were doing, right? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, so. And it's a thing where if you think of some of those big places that are really big Buddhist countries now, Ashoka was the one that brought it there, right? Yeah. Sri Lanka, Thailand, which by Thailand, you go to Cambodia, Greece, <laughs> Greece uh, and China, right? Like, yeah, yeah, I think Ashoka is the one that, that takes Buddhism there. Yeah. So he he's the one you can really directly draw a line to the global spread of Buddhism. Um, and he also uh, does a lot of kind of, you know, things with the relics of the Buddha. So he's... Um, so, you know, he, he takes the Buddhist relics uh, from the stupas that they're in, uh, the relics you know, being the bones and, and all the other bits of the Buddha that still are around, um, and, you know, constructs um, eight, 84,000 stupas through the country with all some part of the Buddha's remains inside. So he's trying to spread it, right? He really is trying to spread it. Um, and, you know, and he, he orders the construction and the kind of the... the, the 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 holy the holiness making of some of those the key Buddhist pilgrimage sites so you know Lumbini Bodhgaya all these mm-hmm. places that you know that we that are now set up as pilgrimage sites you know Ashoka is the one that goes yeah these are pilgrimage sites we, yep. we should do something about this um, so he dies after reigning for about forty years um, he uh, you know he 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 saw through a pretty strong growth of the Mauryan Empire uh, but it does collapse fifty years after. He dies. Were his successors Buddhist? Do we know much about that? Doesn't them? go into it. Okay. Um, I suspect probably, given how like big of a deal he made it, un- unless his successors were well, really rebelling against him, right? Because this kind of happens after Constantine, right? Like, mm-hmm. in, in fact, right through to the empire collapsing bit. Because for the century or so after Constantine, you have this little tug of war, right? There's about 60 years after him, mm-hmm. there's a Roman empire, an empire, emperor, called Julian the Apostate. Um, and can you guess what his religious leanings were? Oh, was he Christian? No. Was he an apostate? Yes. Like, and, and he tries to restore paganism, right? Like, yeah. And he, he, so, he, sorry, I, 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 don't, I don't actually fundamentally know what the term apostate oh, means. Oh, I'm sorry. So I think you, you, set, sorry. Me, you set me up for a, um, for a fall there. An apostate is someone who's kind of turned their back on the religion, oh, right? Okay. Like a, you know, fallen away from yeah, the religion. Yeah, I was thinking apostle or something. I, yeah, this is... He, he runs this campaign to like reinstitute paganism in the Roman Empire yeah, okay. in about 370-ish, 360-ish. Um, which includes looking at all these monasteries and stuff that are doing all these charitable works because that's you know Christianity, right? Not part of Roman paganism at all. And he kind of goes to the pagan leaders and goes, guys, we've got to get our act together. All these Christians are being loving and kind and treating people as like they're valuable from God. We need to do that as well. We need to like out-Christian them. And the, and the pagans are like, what are you talking about? This this is why we hate them. This makes no sense to us. So, yeah, so it doesn't work. But there is this tension, right, um, after Constantine of is the Roman Empire going to stay Christian? Um, and then obviously around 400-ish, it splits into Eastern and Western and, and rah, rah, rah. So it wouldn't surprise me if kind of at least one of his successors somewhere along the line is like, no, that Buddhist stuff is all nonsense and we should be running a Hindu empire or, or whatever it is. Yeah, and it, it's hard to tell because I think like a lot of history of this time, what ends up happening, right, is that the Marian Empire collapses and 
it just kind of disappears from the record. You mm. know? So, um, so I mean, they had the stupors and the edicts that they wrote in, but, you know, I was listening to a different podcast. Um, you mean you listen to a podcast other than this one? I do. Oh. Yeah, I mean, it, it's Dan Cullen's Hardcore History, so it's, it goes for three hours an episode, but, you know. Um, and they talk about archaeology, right? And they're talking about how how interesting and different it is in where there are archaeological sites that the climate hides and makes it yeah. harder to find. So like, you know, it's like it's easy to find archaeological items in Egypt. Yeah. Because it's open Hot and, dry. and dry and you can just see everything. Yep. Whereas like go to the go to South America in Central America and the jungles and it's just yep. hard to find. And this kind of what happens to stuff rots differently. Yeah. Different, yeah. So this, this kind of happens to Ashoka's empire, right? Where essentially the stupas become overgrown, the edicts mm-hmm. kind of get buried by sands, they just kind of, you know, they're just not there anymore. And it's really only until the British come in in the 19th century and are kind of snooping around a little bit and they find some and of take these them pillars. Back to the London Museum. I, I'm sure. Probably. Sure that's, how they, that's how they rolled. Yes, but um, but you know, supposedly a, a British scholar and Orientalist, um, <laughs> watch me throw up in my mouth, um, James Princip, um, you know, comes across an inscription and suddenly they decipher it and they kind of and then they kind of rediscover the history and then yeah. they link it back to the Buddhist texts because the Buddhist texts. And, and so this is endured. history. Like when you say they rediscovered history, it's not in the sense of nobody in the West knew about this guy, but actually like nobody in India really knew about this either. Yeah. I, again, I, my, my sense is that there are, there are Buddhist texts that endure that talk about, you know, a king, but like, this is the thing about the Buddhist text. The Buddhist text hardly ever name anybody. Right? Like, <laughs> even the Buddha is not ever really, like, the Buddha's not called Gautama very much right. at all. Again, because the Buddha is a title, right? Yeah. But then generally the Buddha is referred to as the noble one or like, you know, the um the they call the the, the Tatyagaha, like the the holy one or the noble mm-hmm. one and like and this one uh, from what I've read of the, this article so far I essentially Ashoka is referred to as the one loved by the gods right so like these Buddhist texts yep. have reference to who is eventually we find out is Ashoka but it's not inherently like. You can't connect yeah. it to the historical. Well, once you know the historical person's there, you go, "Oh, that's yeah, this." Yeah. But yeah, yeah, but it, but it's, it's kind of a Buddhist legend, otherwise that you don't really link in with anything, anyone in specific. Yep. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so essentially, Ashoka is kind of reintroduced, um, and and yeah, and and now 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 we know a, a bit more about him and and what he did. But um, yeah, Buddhist. And now Constantine. I know a bit more about him. Yeah, I've I've enjoyed this. Thoughts. This is good. I think I've voiced them yeah. mostly. Yeah. yeah. Do you want to write them down on a stone edict? I mean, sure, it might take a while. My chiseling is not up to scratch. I don't think Ashoka wrote his own stone edict. I no, think he had people who did that for him, and I, I'm not in that position. <laughs> no, he, he probably he probably didn't write his uh, edicts. Um, he he might have changed his, his own light bulbs, though, which reminds me of a time a Christian and a Buddhist walked into a bar, mm. uh, and the bar had uh, a light bulb that was out. And it also had a stone edict. It did. Yep. It did. A stone edict in one corner and a and a, a dead light bulb in the other corner. And there was um there was this bunch typical of, bar. There was this bunch of uh, Zen Buddhist monks standing around the bar, uh, and and you know the, the bartender was kind of like talking to them about fixing the light bulb. And they were, you know, it's like, oh, how many Zen Buddhist monks does it take to change a light bulb, right? And the Zen Buddhist monks, yeah, you know, very in unison, very calmly, just went three. There's one to change it. One to not change it, and one to both change it and not change it. Nice. Yeah. 
The thing is the light bulb has to want to change, right? right. Well, the light bulb is just, it has Buddha nature of, of being broken or not broken. And, you know, <laughs> the Buddha nature is changing. Did Buddhists invent Schrodinger's cat? Oh, I'm sure that there's a there's a Schrodinger Buddha's cat somewhere <laughs> somewhere in this that's you know a like oh, no 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 I I no Schrodinger's cat is just a description the Buddha invented that it's called the world <laughs> <laughs> the Buddha did not invent the world I I hate to I hate to break it no, to it, you but sh- there's there's no creation kind of mythology theology anything like that in in Buddhism no but it's, so, it's Schrodinger's world it's both existent and non-existent at the same time. <laughs> Explain that one. Touche. Yeah. Touche. I, I, yeah. I thought you'd get that one without me yeah. explaining it. No, sorry. It's too late in the evening. It's true. I'm too thick today. Yeah. Um. So maybe what you need to do instead is to go murder a hundred thousand people in a southern empire and and um and convert to Buddhism. Would not recommend. What I would recommend though is listening to the music of Kevin McLeod. That's you true. hear every week on this podcast. He, Kevin McLeod has never murdered a hundred thousand people. That we know of. <laughs> yeah. The Christian and a Buddhist walk into a bar is not suggesting that Kevin McLeod has done anything improper in his life ever. No, um, but you can send your Kevin McLeod conspiracy theories to christianbuddhistbar at gmail.com. <laughs> Tune in for <laughs> next week's episode. I've broken him. <laughs>